Episode 46 Melchizedek Prefiguring our prophet, priest and king Genesis 14 verses 17 to 24 Jesus Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of every biblical picture and figure which looks forward to the coming Messiah. All the way back to the time of Eusebius, who lived during the 3rd and 4th century, the threefold office of Christ is noted, that of being the prophet, priest and king. In Deuteronomy, the great prophet is predicted who would come in the manner of Moses. Chapter 18, verse 15 to 16. The Lord your God will give you a prophet like me. He will be one of your own people. Listen to him. This is what you ask the Lord your God to do. You were gathered at Mount Sinai. You said, Don't make us listen to the voice of the Lord our God again. Don't make us look at this terrible fire anymore. We will die. In Jeremiah, a great king is anticipated, who is God incarnate. The days are coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a good descendant in David's family. This descendant will be a king who will rule in a wise way, and he will do what is fair and right in the land. In his time, Judah will be saved. Israel will live in safety. This will be his name. The Lord does what is right. Jeremiah 23 verses 5 and 6. And also in Jeremiah is the anticipation of a new high priest. Look, the time is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new agreement. It will be with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. It will not be like the agreement I made with their ancestors. That was when I took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt. I was a husband to them, but they broke that agreement, says the Lord in Jeremiah 31, 31 and 32. A new covenant implies a change in priesthood. Many of the times, the uniting of the offices of prophet, priest, and king into one is alluded to in the Old Testament. Isaiah speaks of these three offices belonging to the Lord, because they are fulfilled in Jesus. Isaiah's words are a veiled reference to the deity of Jesus Christ. This is because the Lord is our judge. The Lord makes our laws. The Lord is our King. He will save us. Isaiah 33 verse 22. In the New Testament, we see the threefold concept realized in the person of Jesus. In this episode, we'll see a person who shows up in only three verses, and yet these three verses are so important that the author of Hebrews will spend three entire chapters speaking about them. Hebrews chapters 5, 6 and 7 clearly explain how the law of Moses failed to bestow righteousness upon us. Chapter 5 Every high priest is chosen from among men. He is given the work of going before God for them. He must offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He himself is weak so he is able to be gentle with those who do not understand and who are doing wrong things. Because he is weak, the high priest must offer sacrifices for his own sins, and then he offers sacrifices for the sins of the people. To be a high priest is an honour, but no one chooses himself for this work. 
he must be called by God as Aaron was. So also Christ did not choose himself to have the honour of being a high priest, but God chose him. God said to him, You are my son, today I have become your father. And in another scripture God says, You are a priest forever, a priest like Melchizedek. While Jesus lived on earth, he prayed to God and asked God for help. He prayed with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And his prayer was heard because he left it all up to God. Even though Jesus was the Son of God, he learned to obey by what he suffered. And he became our perfect High Priest. He gives eternal salvation to all who obey him. And God made Jesus High Priest. A priest like Melchizedek. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are so slow to understand. You have had enough time so that by now you should be teachers, but you need someone to teach you again the first lessons of God's message. You still need the teaching that is like milk. You are not ready for solid food. Anyone who lives on milk is still a baby. He knows nothing about right teaching. But solid food is for those who are grown up. They are mature enough to know the difference between good and evil. Hebrews chapter 6 So let us go on to grown-up teaching. Let us not go back over the beginning lessons we learned about Christ. We should not start over again with teaching about turning from acts that lead to death and about believing in God. We should not return to the teaching of baptisms, of laying on hands, of the raising of the dead and eternal judgment. And we will go on to grown-up teaching if God allows. Some people cannot be brought back again to a changed life. They were once in God's light. They enjoyed heaven's gift and they shared in the Holy Spirit. They found out how good God's word is, and they received the powers of his new world. And then they fell away from Christ. It is not possible to keep on bringing them back to a changed life again, for they are nailing the Son of God to a cross again, and are shaming him in front of others. Some people are like land that gets plenty of rain, the land produces a good crop for those who work it, and it receives God's blessings. Other people are like land that grows thorns and weeds and is worthless. It is about to be cursed by God. It will be destroyed by fire. Dear friends, we are saying this to you, but we really expect better things from you that will lead to your salvation. God is fair. He will not forget the work you did and the love you showed for him by helping his people. And he will remember that you are still helping them. We want each of you to go on with the same hard work all your lives. Then you will surely get what you hope for. We do not want you to become lazy. Be like those who have faith and patience. They will receive what God has promised.
God made a promise to Abraham, and as there is no one greater than God, he used himself when he swore to Abraham. He said, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. Abraham waited patiently for this to happen, and he received what God promised. People always use the name of someone greater than themselves when they swear. The oath proves that what they say is true, and this ends all arguing about what they say. God wanted to prove that his promise was true. He wanted to prove this to those who would get what he promised. He wanted them to understand clearly that his purposes never change. So God proved his promise by also making an oath. These two things cannot change. God cannot lie when he makes a promise, and he cannot lie when he makes an oath. These things encourage us who came to God for safety. They give us strength to hold on to the hope we have been given. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, sure and strong. It enters behind the curtain in the most holy place in heaven. Jesus has gone in there ahead of us and for us. He has become the high priest forever, a priest like Melchizedek. Hebrews chapter 7 Melchizedek was the king of Salem and a priest for the Most High God. He met Abraham when Abraham was coming back after defeating the kings. When they met, Melchizedek blessed Abraham and Abraham gave Melchizedek a tenth of everything he had brought back from the battle. First, Melchizedek's name means King of Goodness. Also, he is King of Salem, which means King of Peace. No one knows who Melchizedek's father or mother was. No one knows where he came from, and no one knows when he was born or when he died. Melchizedek is like the Son of God. He continues being a priest forever. You can see that Melchizedek was very great. Abraham, the great father, gave Melchizedek a tenth of everything that Abraham won in battle. Now the law says that those in the tribe of Levi, who become priests, must get a tenth from the people. The priests collect it from their own people, even though the priests and the people are both from the family of Abraham. Melchizedek was not from the tribe of Levi, but he got a tenth from Abraham, and he blessed Abraham, the man who had God's promises. And everyone knows that the most important person blesses the less important person. Those priests get a tenth, but they are only men who live and then die. But Melchizedek, who got a tenth from Abraham, continues living, as the scripture says. It is Levi who gets a tenth from the people, but we might even say that when Abraham paid Melchizedek a tenth, then Levi also paid it. Levi was not yet born, but Levi was in the body of his ancestor Abraham 
when Melchizedek met Abraham. The people were given the law concerning the system of priests from the tribe of Levi, but they could not be made spiritually perfect through that system of priests. So there was a need for another priest to come. I mean a priest like Melchizedek, not Aaron. But when a different kind of priest comes, the law must be changed too. We are saying these things about Christ. He belonged to a different tribe. No one from that tribe ever served as a priest at the altar. It is clear that our Lord came from the tribe of Judah, and Moses said nothing about priests belonging to that tribe. And this becomes even more clear. We see that another priest comes who is like Melchizedek. He was not made a priest by human rules and laws. He became a priest through the power of his life, which continues forever. In the scriptures, this is said about him. You are a priest forever, a priest like Melchizedek. Psalm 110 verse 4. The old rule is now set aside because it was weak and useless. The law of Moses could not make anything perfect, but now a better hope has been given to us. And with this hope, we can come near to God. Also, it is important that God made an oath when he made Jesus high priest. When the others became priests, there was no oath. But Christ became a priest with God's oath. God said, The Lord has made a promise and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Psalm 110 verse 4 So this means that Jesus is the guarantee of a better agreement from God to his people. Also, when one of the other priests died, he could not continue being a priest. So there were many priests. But Jesus lives forever. He will never stop serving as priest. So he is always able to save those who come to God through him. He can do this because he always lives, ready to help those who come before God. So Jesus is the kind of high priest that we need. He is holy. He has no sin in him. He is pure and not influenced by sinners and he is raised above the heavens. He is not like the other priests. They are to offer sacrifices every day, first for their own sins, and then for the sins of the people. But Christ does not need to do that. He offered his sacrifice only once and for all time. Christ offered himself. The law chooses high priests who are men with all their weaknesses, but the word of God's oath came later than the law. It made God's son to be the high priest. And that son has been made perfect forever. The word of the Lord. Melchizedek is mentioned 11 times in the Bible. All but two of these are in the book of Hebrews. The other two are once in Genesis and once by David in the Psalms. What we have recorded about Melchizedek is very clear. The Bible's purpose in introducing him is to simply prefigure 
our true prophet, priest and king, Jesus. Yes, because of Jesus there is peace between the offices of the king and the priest. And also because of Jesus we have the full revelation of God's word as is prophetically breathed out by the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus fills these wonderful roles for us. After defeating Kedolaimer and the kings who were with him, Abram went home. As Abram was returning, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, that is now called King's Valley. The victorious Abram is met by the king of Sodom in the valley of Shaveh. Shaveh means level, and it's possible that the idiom that we use today, meet me on the level, comes from this very phrase. Verse 18. Melchizedek, king of Salem, also went to meet Abram. Melchizedek was a priest for God Most High. He brought bread and wine. Melchizedek blessed Abram and said, Abram, may God Most High give you blessings. God made heaven and earth. And we praise God Most High. He has helped you to defeat your enemies. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of everything he had brought back from the battle. Then the king of Sodom said to Abram, You may keep all these things for yourself. Just give me my people who were captured. The king of Sodom acknowledges Abram's right to all of the booty recovered in the war and only asks for his people back. This is an ancient tradition and is, until recently, the inviolable rule of war. Any land or possessions won in war become the property of the victors. Verse 22, 3-24 But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I make a promise to the Lord, he is the God Most High, who made heaven and earth. I promise that I will not keep anything that is yours. I will not keep even a thread or a sandal strap. That way you cannot say, I made Abram rich. I will keep nothing but the food my young men have eaten. But give Aner, Eshkol and Mamre their share of what we won. They went with me into battle. Instead of exercising his right to the spoils of war, Abraham made a vow to the God Most High, who made heaven and earth, the one true creator God, that he wouldn't accept anything personally from the king of Sodom, by using the same term about God that Melchizedek used. The God Most High, who made heaven and earth, he was acknowledging in front of the king of Sodom that the same God whom Melchizedek was loyal to was the God that he also was loyal to. In his vow, which he made by an uplifted hand, Abraham said he wouldn't accept anything from a thread to a sandal strap. He was saying he wouldn't take even the smallest thing that belonged to a man or woman from their head to their feet. The only thing that he would accept is what his soldiers had eaten along the way to, during and coming back from the battle. Along with that, there were three Amorites who went with him to defeat the enemies and Abraham allowed them to decide to take whatever they wanted. 
there are probably three good reasons why he didn't accept anything for his efforts. First, is that Sodom was notoriously wicked, and he didn't want to have anything of theirs simply because of the principles of guilt by association. Secondly, he received his nephew back alive, and he was surely grateful to God for that. And thirdly, he had received Melchizedek's blessing. This was something of far greater value than any earthly goods. If you look at what Abraham did here, it should be a life lesson to us all. Especially Abraham's guilt by association and the perception others would draw from it. If you're looking to get into a business deal or accept anything from someone else, it's always important to have the highest moral ethics, especially when you bear the name of Christ Jesus. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12, I am allowed to do all things, but not all things are good for me to do. I am allowed to do all things, but I must not do those things that will make me their slave. And when speaking to Titus in chapter 2 about giving instructions to church members, he said this in verses 6 to 8. In the same way, tell young men to be wise. You should do good deeds and be an example in every way for young men. When you teach, be honest and serious. And when you speak, speak the truth so that you cannot be criticised. Then anyone who is against you will be ashamed because there is nothing bad that he can say against us. Throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New, we are shown that living lives of holiness and integrity are the hallmarks of being faithful and obedient children of God. And that brings me to the point where I'd like to share with you the way of becoming a child of God. The Bible tells us that we are participating in and inherit sin from our Father. We are apart from God's holiness. The penalty of our sin is death. But God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. If we simply exercise faith in Christ Jesus, his death burial and resurrection, then we will be saved. We will enjoy peace with the King. Hallelujah and Amen.